trust you've found your place in your Bibles. We're in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll be reading from verse 10 down to verse number 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, we stand as we honor God by the reading of his word. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that he may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful privilege that you've given to us to gather in your house, to worship you, to bless your name. We thank you for the gift of life and health and strength. Dear Lord, and today as we gather in this place, I pray that as the music has ministered to our hearts and as we fellowshiped around your presence. I pray that you would use your word in a mighty way to speak to hearts and to minister, to challenge, to comfort, to encourage, to strengthen. And whatever you say to us here today, that we'd be willing to do it. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse me of sin and empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. That the words I speak today will not be my words, but will be your words. Pray that you would save someone here today who is not saved and who's halting between two opinions. I pray that every believer would be challenged to take a closer walk with you. And when it's all said and done, that we would give you all the honor and glory that's through your holy name. Have your divine way. Take full control. Defeat the forces of evil. May Satan have no occasion to rejoice here today. Thank you once again for your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I have great respect for those who would choose to join the armed forces in their respective countries to put their lives on the line for the freedoms of their people. I think of this reality oftentimes when a war begins. And these individuals are called to battle. I can only imagine that there is a realization that in any war, that there will be casualties. And these individuals who have endeavored to join the armed forces, they must be conscious and aware that they just might be among the group of casualties. You see, in any war, there is no guarantee that that side would be the winning side for that conflict. Yet, these individuals are willing to defend and to fight for a cause. 
It's a, it's a selfless and sacrificial response that should be appreciated and recognized by all. But today, I want us to be ever mindful that there is another war that is taking place. My friend, this war that I will speak of and have been speaking of, it is not physical in nature. It is not fought with guns. It's not fought with tanks. This, my friend, is a spiritual war. When comparing physical wars to the spiritual war, understand that there is a significant difference. And there are many differences that I can outline here to you today. But I want to mention that the winner in this spiritual war is already determined. You see, my friend, this war is a war of right versus wrong. It's a war of good versus evil. My friend, it's a war of God versus Satan. And in this war, there is only one winner and one loser. And the winner, my friend, ultimately is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yet, you and I must be aware that despite the ultimate outcome of this war, there is a major impact while this war rages to our well-being, to our families, to our church, to our community, to our nation, to our world. And the impact that we feel and the magnitude of the impact, my friend, is based on our level of awareness, our attitudes, and our actions in this war. My friend, make no mistake about it. Whether you are aware of it, whether you are conscious of it, whether you are in tune with what's happening, this war, the spiritual war that I speak of here today, it is a war that is raging. This war started in heaven and it continues raging on today. We've examined for several weeks now the realities of this war. This reality is that of this conflict that, that, that existed prior to this conflict, rather. And understand that this war in starting in heaven, because of the pride in the heart of Lucifer, the chief angel, caused one-third of the angels to be cast out of heaven. The reason for this conflict is the fact that Satan wanted to be like the Most High, influenced these angels. And they were confirmed in evil. They have no way of repenting, my friend. But as they have no way of repenting and, and reclaiming to their former state, their goal is to create havoc in this world. We've examined the results of this conflict. The results include the presence of sin. My friend, sin is the reason for every problem that we experience here on planet Earth. It's a major consequence of this war. But we saw the result of sides. You see, my friend, when anything or any person or any imagination or agency sets itself against God, a God who is holy, there's automatically two sides. The side of holiness and the side of unholiness. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral area. 
So we, so we saw the result of sin. We saw the result of size. And then last week, we saw the result of suffering. Sin produces suffering. We saw that creation groans under the weight of sin. We saw that the creature groans under the weight of sin. My friend, sin presents burdens. Sin creates bondage. And bondage produces suffering. But today I want us to look at another aspect of this spiritual war. And I want us to look today and jot this down if you're taking notes. A very important aspect that oftentimes we overlook. Oftentimes we miss. And that is the realm of this conflict. My friend, where exactly is this war raging? On what turf is this war taking place? How does this war that we are speaking of, how does it manifest itself? You see, my friend, being unaware of the answers to these questions leads to devastating consequences. You see, an army going to fight in a desert has to employ a different strategy than if that same army had to fight in a jungle. Fighting on land is different to fighting in the air. You see, my friend, we must come to grips of the realm of this war. Where is it being fought? How are we attacked? How do we detect the signs of an attack? Well, let us understand, first of all, regarding the realm of this war, that this enemy that we speak of is properly organized. Let me draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul understood some things about this war. And he wrote this Ephesians chapter 6, a passage that's often referenced to help us to understand, listen, sometimes you're fighting and you're on the wrong turf. And so let's look at verse number 12 and understand what Paul is speaking of here and wants us to fully grasp. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He said, oftentimes we engage in this war and listen, we are fighting against the wrong enemy. We are fighting on the wrong turf. And so he says, but against what? principalities. The definition of principalities in a theological sense is this. The seventh of the nine orders into which the angels are divided in medieval angelology. Now let me break it down in simpler terms. Understand that Satan's army which is comprised of angelic beings, and we're talking about wicked angelic beings, but they're still angels, has structure. It has ranks. It has organization. This is not unlike earthly armies. Earthly armies have ranks. They have structure. They have levels of authority. They have dedicated responsibilities to these various ranks or subsections 
of that military division. For example, the U.S. Army has, by way of division and ranks, squads, platoons, companies, battalions, regiments, brigades, divisions, and corps. All of these represent different subsections. Now, let me just give you a little definition of a few. A squad is a military, a small military unit consisting of 10 to 11 soldiers, normally led by a staff sergeant. A platoon is four squads, generally three rifle squads and one weapon squad, normally armed with machine guns and anti-tank weapons. Lieutenants lead most platoons, and the second in command is generally a sergeant first class. A company, company-sized units, 130 to 150 soldiers, are normally commanded by captains. They consist of four platoons, usually of the same type, a headquarters unit of some logistical capabilities. Companies are the basic elements of all battalions. In the artillery corps, a company would be called a battery. Cavalry units refer to this unit level as a troop. Now imagine any army, any military has ranks, has structure. Well, my friend, Satan has ranks, has structure, has organization. His kingdom has generals and demons who specialize in different things. They have different responsibilities, as it were, specialty areas. You say, Pastor, where in the Bible did you find that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, if you're good at sword drill, you'll be able to find these quickly, but maybe you should jot them down, and you'll recognize how organized Satan's army is. Now, I did a, as exhaustive a search as I could in the Bible, and you would see these words, and you probably overlook them and not realize that they're an indication of Satan's organization. Their responsibilities to his demons, to his generals. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 11, you notice the reference to the spirit of infirmity. He has a general who deals with infirmity. They got platoons of angels. That's their responsibility. Spirit of infirmity. Acts 16, 16. The spirit of divination. That's his specialty. Romans 8, 15. The spirit of bondage. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The spirit of fear. Man, fear is their specialty. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6. You got the spirit of error. But let me just get a whole bunch of falsehood out there. Propagate it far and wide. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3. The spirit of antichrist. Numbers chapter 5 and verse 14. The spirit of jealousy. 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 22, the spirit of lying. 
As a matter of fact, that verse is so interesting because just prior to it, an angel is talking, a, a, a demon is talking to God and telling God, I'm going to be the spirit of lying and I'm going to go and I'm going to get inside of the person and just make them start telling a whole bunch of lies. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3. The spirit of heaviness. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 12. The spirit of whoredom. My friend, Satan, his, his army is organized. They got responsibilities. They got priorities. You know that in an army, listen, they got certain locations that are their headquarters. Make no mistake about it. Satan has some headquarters here on earth. There's some tasks that are more important at various times in order to make a more significant impact. Make no mistake about it. I firmly believe Satan has team meetings to determine what's the priority today. There are groups and people who are more important to his mission at different times. My friend, what am I saying to us today? Understand that Satan in this realm of spiritual warfare, he is properly organized. You know what that says to me? As God's people, we need to be properly organized about what we're doing. But I want you to notice secondly here today, not only is this realm properly organized, but notice Satan has a powerful operation. Now look back at verse number 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, and against what? Powers, and against the what? Rulers. My friend, this operation, Satan has forces marshaled to achieve an objective. Satan has resources invested to make sure that these objectives are accomplished. Now, if you were to examine a company's budget, you'll understand whether that company is powerful. If you were to examine their budget, you would understand whether or not they have priorities or where these priorities are. When you look at the size of their budget, the areas of emphasis compared to others, this message of their budget and where they plan to invest provides the power for the company. If you examine its resources, its influence, it helps you to know whether they will accomplish what they're trying to do. My friend, any company that's going to succeed and that will succeed, mark it down, had an intention to succeed from the beginning. You don't accidentally succeed, especially in the long term. Understand, my friend, when it comes to this spiritual realm that we speak of, hear me and hear me well, there is no quit in Satan. He does not quit. He, has no, he does not know how to quit. And when we recognize that, 
we must come to grips with the fact that there can be no quit in our efforts to counteract his agenda and his objective. Make no mistake. Don't, don't be naive. Don't be nonchalant. Satan has power. Now look with me at 1 John chapter 4. And while we understand this reality, here's what it ought to motivate us to do. To be prepared to counteract his power. My friend, on our own, we are fodder to Satan. We don't have what it takes to counteract him. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. My friend, we cannot overcome Satan on our own. This verse is an acknowledgement that Satan has power. Now, if you didn't believe me, based on that verse, turn with me to Job chapter 1. And when you read this, listen, it, 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 it caused me to stop and pause when I read this passage that might be familiar to many of us, but to understand the power of Satan. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. We don't have time to read all these verses, but we understand the context here that Satan had come to present himself to God. Like with the other angels as well. He says that in verse number 6. And Satan is coming and the Lord is somehow putting Job up as an exhibit of holiness and righteousness and one who is just and says to Satan, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Prior to that, God asked Satan, where, where have you been, Satan? He says, I have been up and down, walking up and down in the world. And the Lord said, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one who feareth God and eschewed evil. And Satan, the one who wants to always bring us down and challenge us, speaks against Job and says, in other words, Ah, You've been so good to Job. That's why Job serves you. But he says in verse 11, Put forth now thine hand and touch all he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, verse number 12, Behold, Lord, that he had is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now notice the power of Satan. The Bible says, he came a messenger unto Job and said the oxes were plowing and the asses were feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them, took them away and they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. I only am escaped alone to tell thee. You mean to tell me Satan has such power that he was able to influence a group of people to attack a specific family. Prior to this allowance by God, Satan couldn't do anything, but he had the power to use them to accomplish a wicked purpose. That's power, my friend. Look at verse number 16. 
while he was yet speaking, there came also another. The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. You mean to tell me Satan has such power that fire can fall from heaven and consume animals. That's power. Can you do that? While he was yet speaking, verse number 17, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I mean, imagine Satan is so precise that he ensures that one person is left to share the news. We talk about precision. Verse number 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, imagine this, there came a great what? Wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Satan here is even having control of the wind. Wow. Chapter number 2, verses 1 to 7. We don't have time to read all these verses, but Satan comes back before God. God says, ha ha, Job is still faithful. Job wants to, Satan rather wants to diminish what Job has been able to survive and still thrive. And God gives him the authority to strike Job's body. And Satan does just that. The Bible says in verse number 7 of chapter 2, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with what? Sewer boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. My friend, what am I saying here this morning? Understand that Satan is in charge of a powerful operation. Don't mess with him. But notice thirdly, in this realm, Satan has a powerful, a particular rather objective. Now turn back with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And notice something here specifically that's mentioned. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the what? Rulers of what? Of the darkness. Now my friend, a company, an organization, if it's going to do well and it's going to sustain, has mission statements. These mission statements are carefully thought out to keep the employees focused on the organization's agenda. These statements are to guide every activity, every project. They are to help formulate a culture within the organization. My friend, Satan has a mission statement. And that mission statement is to destroy you. To destroy me. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter admonishing here says, As such, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a what? Roaring lion, walketh about, Seeking whom he may what? Devour. 
my friend, understand that Satan has a concerted, consolidated, consistent objective to devour, to destroy. It is an agenda of evil, of everything that's wrong, everything that's diabolical. My friend, darkness is representative of sin and Satan's kingdom, Satan's realm is one of utter darkness. Understand that. Understand this realm that we are speaking of. But I want you to notice this morning. And I'm going to let this be the final point because I want to take some time on this one. Because when it comes to understanding this realm that we speak of, understand that Satan performs in obscurity. What do I mean by that? Satan does not want you to recognize when he is operating, when he is functioning. Understand that he's not going to come out and say, boo, here I am. No. He's going to work behind the scenes. He's going to work in a way to lull you to sleep. He's going to work in a way that you have no clue that that's really him. I want you to hear me carefully this morning. Now, notice again, the Bible says, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Understand that he's functioning not only in darkness, as it relates to darkness being representative of sin, but he's also functioning in obscurity. John chapter 3 and verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation that light is coming to this world, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So understand, if a man who wants to perform evil is going to go in obscurity, is going to go in darkness, how much more is Satan, who is the father of darkness and evil, he's going to function in obscurity. He's going to function so you can realize that's him. You see, the goal is to keep potential victims blinded as to the real objective. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13 to 15 says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, notice this, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. All this red devil with some horns, with a pitchfork. That's not what the Bible says. He says he's transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers or his agents also be transformed as the ministers of what? Righteousness. Whose end shall be according to their works. Here, my friend, Satan is willing. And that is his agenda to make his agents look as if they are ministers of righteousness. He makes things look 
like good things. He makes things look like necessary things. He makes things look like important things. Why? He doesn't want you to detect that he's at work. By doing so, he can easily let the opposition put their guard down. Let me give you some practical ways in which Satan does this that you might not be aware of. You make a decision on Saturday night. I am going to church tomorrow morning. All of a sudden, all kind of issues begin to pop up. The boss calls you at 9 o'clock. Has some urgent thing for you to do. Electricity goes off before you iron your clothes. Water goes off before you take a shower. The car all of a sudden starts giving you trouble. Customer calls you for some, uh, some sale. Like you. Listen, Satan is at work. Detect him. Recognize him. He does not want you under the sound of the word. Because the word can transform your life. I've experienced this. You're praying. And you're desiring to have devotion. And all of a sudden, I mean, a wave of tiredness comes over you. Man, you got a good sleep last night. And all of a sudden, you open your Bible and you feel like you just took a sleeping pill. You think that's accident? You know how I know it's not an accident? Because... You put down your Bible and you turn on the TV, you watch a movie for two hours and you don't blink once. <laughs> Wide awake. Listen, Satan is working over time. I mean, your home is peaceful. A sanctuary of calm. And all of a sudden you find yourself snapping at your spouse for no good reason. Snapping at your children. And you wonder, wait. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed? What's the right side? What's the wrong side? You see, my friend, Satan doesn't like peace. Satan doesn't like harmony. He likes confusion. He likes disruption. He loves, listen, when you're arguing, he, when you're arguing, he say, but hit him again. Yeah, tell him, uh, listen, come up with that thought. Listen, get, hit him. Uh. You, know, you know, when we were younger, we used to, we used to I don't know if we used to, uh, well, I don't know if this is illegal, maybe it is, but um, we used to like watching dogs fight and people used to have this thing say hoots. You all remember that? When you and your spouse and your children and your whole family is fighting, Satan is there in the corner saying hoots, hoots, hoots. And how often we take the bait? Hmm? How often? And Satan just this thing. Boy, you are doing good, man. Good. Keep it going. My friend, Satan is at work. Listen, Satan is at work in the church of God. Listen, church could be going well. People getting saved. Listen, there's unity. He doesn't like that. Listen, when things are going well, he's going to try to drop some gossip somewhere. See if he could start some trouble. Listen, he's going to see if he could stir up some jealousy, stir up some envy. Listen, somebody's going to get upset about something to disrupt the togetherness. That's the work of Satan. 
Here's another one. Listen, the word is preached. I mean, hearts are being convicted. All of a sudden, I mean, in just about half an hour after, you already went to the bathroom. You got the strong urge to walk in. Where are you going? You just went. Satan himself have given you a temporary weak bladder between 11 and 1. And after you go back home, you don't use the bathroom again until 6 p.m. How did that work? He wants it distracted. Your phone is beeping and buzzing and all kind of text in the house of God. Why? He wants to distract you. And after all, he knows you're not a doctor, but all of a sudden you start acting like one. You're considering making a decision for God. He's going to bring all kind of reasons during the invitation time why you should not. He's going to bring that spirit of fear. He's going to bring that doubt. He's going to bring uh, all kind of thoughts in your mind. My, you want to serve God. You want to love God. You want to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Man, don't do it. When them Christians are hypocrites. Now I thought about this one. And I thought, boy, how... <laughs> How, how destructive is Satan? And how diabolical that Satan could bring a thought in your mind to convince you that the Christians are hypocrites. Well, what is Satan? Can you imagine that Satan could convince people that other people are hypocrites? Well, what about him? You forgot that verse we just read? That Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light while he is not an angel of light. He's an angel of darkness. What I'm saying to you, don't let Satan convince you about people being hypocrites when he is the biggest hypocrite of all. He's the master of darkness. He doesn't want you to realize that. He wants you to think that the root of the problem is somebody else, something else, not him. By the way, let me just mention that Satan giving excuses and doing all this stuff does not absolve us from our responsibility. So you can't say, well, the spirit of lying came over me and, and I just started lying compulsively. But be aware of what he does. What it ought to do is to remind us that we ought not to let ourselves be manipulated by him and used by him. And it also ought to remind us not to attack those of us who are on the same side. Amen? Listen, how often do we get caught up in turning on our own when we ought to be fighting the enemy? There's so much in this verse that I don't want to rush through it. And I'm going to stop here. But I want you to, I guess maybe you say, Pastor, you're using a strategy. I want you to come back next week. No, seriously. Because the next part of this verse that says, against spiritual wickedness in high places, oftentimes, 
we don't understand the full extent of this verse. And we often think it's pertaining to something out there with some headquarters of wickedness that we have nothing to do with and we're not a part of. But it goes so much deeper than that. My friend, Satan is a liar. And I want us to understand this realm in which he functions, my friend. And as we go about our daily task, we must open up our spiritual life. We must have some discernment, some wisdom, some understanding that Satan's objective is to destroy, is to devour. And when you recognize what he's doing, anything that goes against the objective of God, the will of God, the agenda of God, you've got to reject. And I trust that we gain a better understanding and awareness of this realm that we don't walk around clueless, nonchalant, unaware of how he functions because the consequences of such a mindset are devastating. We got to be vigilant. We got to be aware and understand that this spiritual war is about bringing our downfall. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't quit. That's why we have to press on. That's why we have to persevere. You want a spiritual battle today? Satan has gotten over that already. He's coming again. He's constantly seeking to accomplish his objective. But thank God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You see, my friend, here's the good news. You don't have to be a casualty. A military personnel who goes abroad or engages in a war has no confidence, really and truly, that they will survive. But for those of us who are in Christ, we know how the story ends. But in the meantime, let us be engaged in the right kind of activities, the right attitudes, the right actions to not only survive in this war, but to thrive. It's about time we give Satan some pushback. It's about time we win some battles in this spiritual war. But let's be aware of the turf on which is being fought and have the mindset necessary to combat these forces of evil. Make no mistake, we're in a war that is raging. But I trust that you understand that we can be firmly planted on the winning side.